Good morning again. Some of you were, uh, came in after I was able to greet you. Good morning. Glad you're here. I see Virgin in the back for Jesus' storybook time. So uh, young children who are with us, and by, most of them are down already, but uh, invited to go downstairs for an age-appropriate lesson down there. For the rest of you, as I said, glad to be here with you. Uh, as, we, as we move forward in our church year, we're out of the special days for a while. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know we've been celebrating a, a number of special kind of church holidays, special holy days uh, throughout the uh, kind of week after week here. We started a few months ago now with Easter. Uh, some of us remember all the way back to April, right? Uh, seems like a long time ago that we had Easter. Uh, could somebody up there turn me down just a, just a pinch? Thank you. We had Easter uh, back in the end of April, and then Ascension Day. Forty days after that, we uh, celebrated the, 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 the day of Ascension, the day that Jesus uh, returned into heaven, promised as he went to send his spirit uh, onto his people as a guide. Um, and then ten days after that, we had the, the festival of Pentecost, uh, that Jewish festival, the Feast of Weeks, where the Jewish people were celebrating the, the summer harvest. And at that time, the story says that God's Spirit came on the followers of Jesus as a tongue of fire, right? Recalling for us all those fire moments, uh, the burning bush that brought Moses to Egypt to set the people free, the pillar of fire that, uh, that led them through the desert uh, into the promised land of Israel. And now at this festival of Pentecost, that same Spirit or that, well, the Spirit comes again as that same symbol of fire over the heads of the people. Last Sunday, then, we didn't celebrate it, but last Sunday was something called Trinity Sunday. Uh, Trinity Sunday, where we uh, rem remind ourselves of God's uh, three persons in one God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, three, but also one united uh, God. And so that was the end of kind of our special days, all kicked off by Easter. Now we're in the time of the church here called After Pentecost. You see it at the, at the front of your service folder, I think the second Sunday after Pentecost. Our colors uh, that we see around the church, which have been white. Uh, for Easter they were white, symbolizing newness and, and life, right? And then we had red for our celebration color. Now we have green. Lauren's looking around, we have some red up. Uh, nobody took me up on my offer yet to make green banners, so we still have the the red ones, but our colors are green. I'm wearing green as well. Green sometimes is called the ordinary time, the time when nothing special is happening, right? But the color green also symbolizes growth. You can see it on the, 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 the tree uh, that we have here. So it symbolizes growth. And we'll stay there in this time of green, this time of growth, uh, all the way through the, through the summer and through the fall until around Thanksgiving when Advent starts again, the time of our church year where we anticipate and look forward to the, the birth of Jesus, and that's the, 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 the restart time. We're in this green for growth time right now, though, because this is the time in our, our, our life together where we, we take the time to look again at the everyday happenings of Jesus, the things that he's doing and saying and teaching as he walked around with his followers. And we use those opportunities, just like we have one of those kind of everyday moments uh, here in our gospel reading today. We use those opportunities to grow in our own understanding, in our own faith. And we can do that, obviously, any time throughout the, the year. We can grow in our own understandings, our own faith, through any of the things we read. 
But that's the particular focus of this long stretch of our life together. Uh, from summertime all the way till Thanksgiving, the particular focus to use these uh, events of Jesus' time here to grow in our own understandings and faith. And I tell you this stuff, by the way, uh, from time to time, I, I, I like to tell you these things where we find ourselves uh, to point out that there's a, there's a rhythm to our life together. As we gather here week in and week out, um, go out there to live the things that we, or the best we can, to live the things we talk about here, there's a rhythm to it. Just like knowing the milestones and the seasons of our calendar year is important to us, right? The fresh start of the new year and then into, into the cold of winter until Easter comes and then uh, gradually spring starts to, uh, starts to develop. And Memorial Day then, which we just recently celebrated, is kind of the unofficial start of summer. Uh, things slow down a bit, maybe. Travel and vacation happens, and that ends, though, with Labor Day. Uh, that's the end of summer. The weather starts to, to, to cool. The leaves eventually turn. We get back into the same rhythms of work and school and life, right? Uh, kind of back to the grind. Soon after that, though, Thanksgiving kicks off the holiday season. Times of joy and happiness and family, but also times of stress and, and, and spending and weight gain. And then it starts all back up again, right? With Christmas and New Year. And just like knowing that rhythm can help us kind of orient ourselves and, and ground ourselves, just the, in, this, in the same way that knowing that rhythm brings meaning and, and order to the things that we're doing in the, the rhythm of our lives, in the same way knowing the rhythm of our church calendar, it does the same. It orients us, brings a sense of meaning, purpose, and, and purposefulness, right? That we're moving forward, that we're heading somewhere. So today is our first step into that new season of the church year, into this ordinary time uh, where, we, where we grow in our understandings and our faith. And it brings us this story of a man with many demons. In Matthew's Gospel, if you read this same story in the book of Matthew, it's two men. Um, Matthew does that from time to time. He doubles things in order to say it's, a, it's a, a literary convention that says, look at this, pay attention to this, this is important. So in Matthew's telling of the story, it's two men. In this telling of the story, it's one man. Um, the story of a man with many demons and a doomed herd of pigs and a terrified crowd. Jesus is in the land of the Gerasenes, as we read, which is kind of to the east of the Sea of Galilee. Much of Jesus' time is focused around this Sea of Galilee and uh, different villages and towns that he visits around it. And he comes across a man with many demons in him, not necessarily 2,000 demons, uh, 2,000 pigs doesn't necessarily equal a one-to-one -one correlation, right? Uh, in any case, though, it's many demons. A legion, he names himself legion, for we are many, right? A legion is a Roman military unit, and it consists of, there's all sorts of calculations, but it consists of 4,800 uh, individual soldiers in a legion. And so this guy has many, many demons in him. Maybe even 4,800, who knows? To our modern ears, this might sound a little bit strange at first. We might be tempted to assume uh, that, that this idea of demons is a primitive understanding. Tempted to equate it with mental illness, maybe, or, or some sort of disease. And while it, while it is true that there are some biblical accounts of demon possession that sound a lot like uh, epilepsy, for example, we see an, uh, an account of a demon who, who throws a, a child to the ground and makes him shake and foam at the mouth, and that looks a lot like, like epileptic seizures, right? 
While it's true that there are some biblical accounts of demons that look a lot like uh, medical conditions that we would recognize today, uh, we should take seriously uh, the presence of actual evil forces that really interact with people. If there are forces of good, and we want to say that there are, there are just as likely to be forces of evil. So we never want to downplay or or trivialize or, or explain away accounts of demons that we find in Scripture, but at the same time, we can look at the characteristics and the actions of this man that has the demons in him, and we can recognize some things that are common to all of us as well. So that's where we'll, we'll head this morning. We'll look at some of these characteristics, recognize some things that are common in our own experience, and then we want to see how does Jesus respond to this. So we see this man breaking the chains that are meant to hold him, right? Uh, repeatedly throwing off everything that's meant to bound him, meant to keep him on the right track, but he throws it off, and he spends his time among the tombs. Among the tombs. Cut off from, from his relationships, from his work, isolated from everything that, that gives him life, and driven instead to places of, of death and, and desolation. And totally naked. With his shame, in other words, his shame on, on full display for all to see. So when we look at this man in this way, breaking everything meant to bind him, driven to places of death, and with his shame on full display, when we look at it that way, you don't have to have actual evil spirits in you to see some of the same similarities, some of the same similar ideas to the afflictions, the struggles, the traps that you and I battle. Areas of your life, for example, maybe, maybe habits that you have, where you keep finding yourself going out of bounds. Everything that's meant to keep you on check, in check, we keep violating it. Crossing the boundaries meant to keep you on the right track. Things that, that aren't sources of life or joy for you, but instead bring you isolation, cut you off sometimes from relationships, from, from other pursuits that fulfill you, and instead these things just drain you probably make you feel a little bit vulnerable, the need to cover up, maybe bring you a fair amount of shame, or at least it it would if it ever were to become known. We all have them. It doesn't have to be a specific thing either. A pastor that I heard once said, if you you all, referring to the the group he was preaching to, he said, if you all knew how big a sinner I was, I would have to run out of here with my coat over my head. In other words, uh, he, he didn't mean a specific thing that he was struggling with. He, he just meant that sort of repeated pattern of, of going outside the lines, repeated pattern of doing things that don't necessarily uh, match up with God's desires or, or honor him. And so it could be just that, that drip, drip, drip of small things that each of us struggle with. So with that in mind, I want to explore then two things that Jesus says here. He only speaks twice in the, in the whole reading. In your Bible at home, it might be uh, denoted by red letters, red letters indicating the, 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 the things Jesus says. Uh, here it's just quotation marks. And so he says two things that I want to look at this morning. The first one, what is your name? Bottom of page uh, three it was. What is your name? And this one might feel routine at first. We ask and answer that same question, what is your name, uh, thousands of times in our daily lives, don't we? 
It's a standard way of, of initiating an interaction. How many times have you asked the question or answered the question, what is your name, right? But think about this, because I, I think it's something more than just routine conversation happening here. Think about this. How many times have you been identified or defined or known by your afflictions and your struggles? We call it reputation sometimes, don't we? But sometimes it even goes beyond that to where it almost becomes your whole identity. Whatever you've done, whatever mistake you've made, whatever you struggle with, uh, it becomes how people identify you, what they say about you. It determines and limits their, their expectations and their assumptions that they have about you. Even colors their, their interactions with you. Does that ring true? Okay, for at least one person, I'll take it. So I think, as I said, this is more than just standard conversation. I read these as very purposeful words from Jesus. Very purposeful words showing us that Jesus knows you by your name, not by your record. He knows you by your name, not by your record. Not by, or in other words, by who you are, not by what you've done. That's one of the reasons that when you were baptized, the pastor said both of your names, your first name and your middle name, right? Because Jesus knows you by your name, not by what you've done. He knows you as redeemed spirit bearer, as new creation, as precious child of God, as brother, sister, friend. And if you're not yet part of the family, right? If you're not baptized yet, still though, still he looks and sees one of God's creation, Worthy and valuable, somebody worth dying for, someone he wants to win back from death and into his family. So no matter where you are right now, Jesus knows you by your name, by who you are. I was with a, a domestic violence advocate yesterday. I was giving a panel discussion, and he said something that really stuck with me. He said, this is a thing he says to those who have... Um, committed acts of violence. He says, you're always more than your weakest moment. You're always more than your weakest moment. And that's, I think, what Jesus has in mind here. He doesn't uh, pin your record to you or make it your identity. Jesus doesn't, and by the way, neither should we. See, this idea, it has to influence how we look at the people around us, too. How we, how we treat the neighbor who we know has some issues, the family member who always seems to mess up, the one that we have bad blood with, right? We should look at them, we're, we're invited, empowered, uh, to look at them in the same way that Jesus looks at them. And the same way that he looks at us, too. As who they are, who they could become, rather than what they've done. Second thing Jesus says, he says, this is after the man has asked to go with him. He says, return home and tell of how much God has done for you. And this is really interesting because the man has asked to follow Jesus, right? To go where he goes and, and dedicate himself to Jesus' teaching, his ideas, to his work. You would think that Jesus might want this or welcome it. And it's true, for certain people he did. For the twelve that he chose to be the foundation of spreading his message, those, those disciples we see uh, with him all the time that he eventually sends out uh, to share his message, for those guys, he did that. 
But there's more than one way to follow Jesus. To this man, Jesus says, go home. Go back to the relationships and the responsibilities that you had, that the, that the demons have prevented you from fulfilling. Go do exactly what you would have done if the demons hadn't gotten in the way. And here's what we can take from this. Jesus didn't set you free to give you a new set of obligations. He didn't buy you back from the brink of death expecting a particular response out of you, looking for some sort of intense devotion like a monk. That's not what he was after. Paul says it really well in his letter to the, to the, Galatian, the Galatians or the, the church in Galatia, right? He, he says, for freedom you've been set free. It's Galatians chapter 5. For freedom you've been set free. In other words, Jesus isn't expecting anything out of you. He doesn't need you to be a monk or a priest or some kind of fanatic. So following Jesus, for most of us, just looks like doing the things God has put before you to do. Being a part of society, being involved in your family, work, doing your work and, and being a part of the church, doing those things that Jesus has put for you to do, or God has put for you to do, and doing them well. In theological language, we call this vocation. Everybody has one, not just pastors or church workers. Everybody has one. And it simply means doing what you do as best as you can to the glory of God. Whatever you do, wherever God has put you, doing, the best that you, doing what, what you do as best as you can to the glory of God. Paul, again, in, in Ephesians 2, again, another letter that he writes to a, another church that he started, this time in Ephesus. Uh, chapter 2, he writes these words. He says, You are God's workmanship. God made you created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he created for you to do. And you notice it doesn't say which works. It doesn't say created to um, be one of me. Created to do good works, whatever your good works are, which God specifically appointed for you to do. So the thing that you do, the place where you are, that's God's place for you. And following Jesus looks like this. Go and do it as best as you can to his glory. So when Jesus set you free from the burden and the pain of the afflictions and struggles, you are really and truly free. There's no further obligation on you, no additional expectation from you. You are free simply to live the life that God has placed you in, as well as you can, and to his glory. And in there, just like this guy, as you're doing that, not only are you free, but you're empowered also to tell how much he's done for you. To tell about the renewal, the restoration, the new lease on life, the hope and the joy that you've experienced. Just as you're really and truly free, without any additional expectation or obligations, you're empowered to tell that, that same good news of what God has done for you, that other people around you too might have that same freedom. So what is your name? Jesus knows you as, as who you are, as his child, made new by his death and set free. And then the other thing he says, return home and, and tell. The freedom that you have is not for a new set of expectations. You're free, really free, to live, to live life right where you are. And in that, to tell of the renewal that you've seen, that others might have it too. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Take 30 seconds for me if you would, as we typically do.
uh, reflect on that for a moment. From what you've heard, what's Jesus inviting you or asking you to uh, believe or do differently in your life this week?